Good morning, ministers. I wanted to start this morning with a question. On a scale of one to 10, how happy are you? You don't have to answer out loud. On a scale of one to 10, hello, Alex. On a, now I'm very happy. On a scale of one to 10, how happy are you? How satisfied are you with your life to this point? Did you know that every year, a branch of the United Nations puts out a survey whereby they try to measure the life satisfaction of individuals within every country. And every year, they put out their report of the most happy and of the least happy countries in the world. Did you know that America does not even make it into the top 20 as it relates to life satisfaction and happiness? That's a fact. There are countries much poorer than ours where people seem to be more satisfied with their lives, more happy about their existence than we. The richest, the most powerful, the most resourceful country in the world has citizens who are the least happy in all the world, the least content with our lives. So it's a serious and an urgent question for us today. On a scale of one to 10, how happy are you? Today, Paul is going to teach us about contentment. Paul is going to teach us about the secret to life satisfaction. And the first lesson that Paul wants to teach us is in his very first words in this text. Paul says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. We'll find out why in a moment, but this is how he begins. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. And the first secret to being content, the first secret to finding life satisfaction is to be grateful. Be grateful for what God is doing in your life and be grateful for what God has already done. Paul is grateful. And the grateful heart is the heart that is most content. The grateful heart is the heart that is most satisfied. Paul has learned the lesson of always seeing the glass half full always being more focused on the good things that are occurring in his life than the bad. Always focused on the positive rather than the negative. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. I'm grateful because you care again. 
Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked an opportunity to act. I am grateful, Paul says, because you care about me again, because you have demonstrated that you care about me once again. Paul has been sowing into the Philippian church his spiritual possessions. He has been investing spiritual things into them. He asked the question, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11, that if I have sold spiritual things into you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? Up to this point, his relationship with the Philippian church has been a one-way street. Paul is giving, but the church is not giving to Paul. Paul is pouring out, but the church is not pouring out to him. And suddenly, again, they care. Their, their concern for Paul has been revived, and Paul is grateful because they are once again considerate. The first secret to living a content life is to be grateful. To be grateful for what God is doing for you and to be grateful for what others do for you. To never consider yourself to be entitled to anything, but every good thing that comes into your hands to be grateful. For the great things and for the small, be grateful. Paul is grateful because this church has begun to give to him, to support his life and to support his ministry. But Paul is not dependent on the church to support him. This is very interesting. And this is the second secret to living a life of contentment. To live a life of contentment, a person has to be self-governing. Be self-governing. Another way to say it is to be independent. Paul says, I'm glad that you're giving to me again. Thank God that your concern for me has revived again. Not that I speak from need, mind you. Not that I speak from need. I don't need anything from you, but I'm grateful that you've given to me, but I'm not speaking now from need. To be self-governing is to take responsibility for your own life, for your health, for your wealth, for your survival. To be self-governing. Yes, the churches should have been concerned for Paul's well-being. The churches should have honored Paul's sacrifices. The churches should have cared for Paul's needs as their minister. But Paul cannot be overly dependent on the church to supply his needs. Ultimately, Paul, like every other adult person, is responsible for his own material well-being. He must be self-governing. He must not pass off responsibility for his own life, for his own future, for his own well-being to others. After all, what if the church was poor? What if the people in Philippi were poor? What if they couldn't give him anything? What would he do? What if the people didn't have enough to share with Paul? What would he do? Should he, should he stop ministering to them 
and find another more well-to-do group of people to minister to? God, no, no, no. Paul is responsible for his own material well-being. You know why? Because the church didn't call Paul. Ministers, you've got to hear this. Anyone looking to go into full-time ministry, you need to hear this. The church didn't call Paul. The elders didn't ordain Paul. Jesus did. Jesus called Paul. And so it is ultimately Jesus Christ's responsibility to see to the needs of his own ministers. And he does. He always does this. Christ's most efficient means to do this is by moving on the hearts of the people so that they'll be generous toward their minister. But that doesn't always happen. And in some cases, that's just not possible. And I'm talking to ministers now. This may be one of the main differences between a career and a calling. This may be one of the main differences between a career and a calling. When you have a career, there exists this binding contract between you and your employer where you give of your time and your talents in exchange for a salary. That's the way it works. That's a career. That's not how callings work. When God calls you into the ministry, the contract is not between the minister and the people. The contract, the agreement is between the minister and Jesus Christ. <laughs> Catch that. Every minister should understand that. Your contract is not between you and the people that you serve. Your agreement is between you and the one who called you, who is Jesus Christ. And this is what Jesus says to his ministers in Luke chapter 9, verse 1. Jesus says, he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all the demons and the power to heal diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healings. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, neither a staff nor a bag, nor bread, not even money. <laughs> and do not even take your tunic. And whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that city. Don't take anything with you, Jesus says. Go with your pockets empty, Jesus says. Go with nothing. Go expecting nothing. Go on my word. Go because of my call. Go being confident that I will supply all of your needs. I'm the one who called you. I'm the one who sent you. And where God sends, God defends. Answering the call of Jesus Christ into full-time ministry is a, into any ministry is a step of faith. It is a personal decision that every minister has to make. No one else asked them to take that step. Jesus told them to do it. Jesus is responsible. And therefore, Jesus takes responsibility for the lives of his own ministers. And his ministers take responsibility for their own lives and for their own well-being. 
What does Jesus expect then when he sends them out with nothing and they enter into a house? What does Jesus expect? Well, apparently Jesus expects that the house they enter into will care for their needs. But if for any reason the house cannot care for their needs, the minister is required to stay there regardless. The minister is required to trust Jesus Christ to supply. The minister is to be self-governing and independent. Paul says, I'm not talking to you because I have a need. I know how to be, how to self-govern. And how does this attitude of self-governance affect contentment? It's easier, listen to this, it is easier to be content when you're not depending on things or people that are outside of your control to satisfy you or to satisfy your needs. It's easier to be content when you're not depending on things that you can't control. It's easier to feel satisfied when you take control of your own life. (laughs) But it causes enormous stress. It causes enormous fear and worry when you place the responsibility for your survival into other people's hands or into the arbitrary systems of this world. Don't know what I'm talking about? Think about your 401k plan right now. Think about your 401k. When you're young, maybe you don't think about 401k so much because you have a long time. But when you get in your 50s, especially in your late 50s, you start paying attention to the stock market because your future and all of your investments are tied up in a system. (laughs) And you can be very concerned when you turn 64 years old, the stock market crashes and you're getting ready to retire, oh my God. Everything that you have invested over a lifetime is tied up in a system. Jesus Christ says to us today, you must learn how to self-govern and not depend on things that are outside of your control to supply your needs. That doesn't mean don't invest in your 401k plan. That just means don't depend on your 401k plan. (laughs) Be self-governing. When you're self-governing, You are not so dependent on the stock market or on men or on the church. Instead, you have entrusted your care to the one who is most faithful, Jesus Christ himself, the one who never changes. And this can give you a deep sense of contentment and satisfaction. A deep sense of fullness. Paul says, I am not speaking to you out of need. I am not begging. I am not placing the burden of my survival onto you. I'm grateful that God has once again caused you to be considerate toward me, but Paul's contentment is not predicated on their generosity. And why not? He says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. That is a lesson right there to learn. I have learned to be content. I have learned to be satisfied in whatever circumstances I am. Can you say that? 
that you have learned to be at peace and to find contentment no matter what circumstance you find yourself in. What a blessing that is. What is contentment? Contentment is an emotional state of satisfaction. It is a mental state drawn from being or feeling at ease in my situation, in my body, and in my mind. Contentment. You dig a little deeper and you find that contentment is actually not so spiritual. Contentment is a neurophysiological experience of satisfaction. What does that mean? Contentment is a function of your nervous system. That's interesting, isn't it? Not so super spiritual after all. Contentment is a function of your nervous system. Meaning this. That if you're always dissatisfied, you're always displeased, and you're most of the time negative about your circumstances and your situation in life, it affects your nervous system. Your mind sends a signal to your nervous system, which in turn makes you feel more tense, which in turn causes internal organs to be uh, aflame. It causes inflammation, which can cause sickness and disease. Worry, can, you can actually worry yourself to death. <laughs> Contentment is a physiological function, a neurophysiological function having to do with the way you think, the way you process, the way you view the world, which in turn affects your nervous system, which in turn affects your life. Contentment is a blessing. It's possible to worry yourself sick. It's even possible to worry yourself to death. Have you, have you met anybody like that? Someone who is never satisfied, just never happy no matter how well things are going. You have $1,000, I need $2,000. You have a car, but it's broken down. Always you say something positive, they say something negative in response. Never satisfied, never happy. Never content. Paul has learned to avoid being discontent. He has learned the secret of staying free from feelings of neediness and the sense of lack. Not just lack of material possessions, but lack of anything. He has learned to avoid the state of discontentment. Contentment is not a spiritual gift. Listen to this. Contentment is not a spiritual gift. Contentment is a learned behavior. Paul says, I learned how to do this. This wasn't some miraculous gift I received by way of the Holy Spirit. I learned how to do this. I learned to be content. And he learned this by experience. He recounts some of those experiences in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26. Here's what he says. I have been on frequent journeys. I have been in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles. I have been in dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among false brothers. I have been in labor and hardship 
through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. I have learned. I have run the gamut of suffering. I have learned <laughs> how to be content in the cold. I have learned how to be content in the heat. I have learned how to be content with no food. I have learned. Wow. Paul has experienced extreme poverty. Paul has experienced extreme lack. Times when it seemed like he had been forsaken by God, forsaken by the church, and forsaken by men. Nights when he sat alone with his stomach growling, with his throat parched, no shoes, no shirt, and a whole lot of problems. Paul has been there, done that. And I'm sure the first time he experienced that, I'm sure he could barely control the animal instinct of fear and worry and dread and sadness and sorrow. I'm sure he had a hard time fending off those negative emotions. I'm sure that the lesson that he learned of contentment didn't come to him easily. It was a process. We want to master this art of contentment. Because as you go through these kinds of trials and these kinds of troubles, they expose to you certain truths that are necessary for you to remember if you're going to maintain any sense of contentment. And the first truth that you learn in the dungeon of human desperation is that it really doesn't take much to survive. That's the first lesson that you learn. It really doesn't take a whole lot to survive. Frugality and simplicity are the two most potent antidotes against discontentment. Paul says so. Paul says in verse 12, he says this, I know how to get along with a little. I know how to get along with a little. My mother knew how to do that. I was raised in poverty on the south side of Chicago. And sometimes the cupboard would be completely bare. There'd be some flour, a little cornmeal, a little bit of bacon grease on the side of the stove, and there'd be some rice. My mother could go in the kitchen, man, and take that flour and that cornmeal with some water and make some, what she called, batty cakes. <laughs> Flip those batty cakes over, get them nice and hot. Yeah, take some rice, that's the truth. Take some rice, boil the rice, and then serve you the rice and put hot sauce on it. You know why? Hot sauce inflames the stomach, make you feel like you're full. She knew how to get along with a little. And do you know we were happy? Do you know we were content? <laughs> Because we knew how to get along with a little. We knew that even if I only have a little, I can still survive. It's not the end of the world. Paul says, I know how to get along with a little. I don't need to be a millionaire. I don't need to be rich. I can get by on just a little bit, a crust of bread and a corner to sleep in, a moment to pray and an hour to weep in. Paul says, I can get along like that. I can sleep in the corner. 
With no soft pillow to lay my head on, I know how to get along with a little. That is one of the secrets to contentment, frugality and simplicity, not requiring much to survive. That is something you should always practice. Learning how to get along with just a little. <laughs> and then even when all you have is a little, you'll still feel content. <laughs> I know how to get along with a little. It doesn't take much for me to survive, Paul says. I'm not high maintenance. That's the lesson that he teaches Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7. He says this to Timothy. He says, for we have brought nothing into this world, so we can take nothing out of this world. Therefore, if we have food and covering, with these we should be Content. If we have food and shelter and some clothing, Paul says, we should be content. And maybe this is why Americans are so unhappy. Because we have been trained through commercialism to require so much more than that. We're chasing the American dream. So I need food and I need covering and I need clothing and I need Xbox. And I need food and I need clothing and I need covering and I need a 58 inch screen TV. I need food, I need clothing and I need that brand new car. We always need something more. Paul says, look man, if you have food and covering, you have enough, you should be content. <laughs> That's all the bird requires, that's all the bear requires, that's all the alligator requires. Why do you require so much more? With food and covering, you should be content. Because food and covering is really all you need. But why do so many people find themselves obsessing over their survival? Why do so many believers worry so much about their lives? Do you have food and clothing? Paul says if you have those two things, you can be content. You have enough. And like the old saying goes, if you have enough, enough is as good as a feast. <laughs> if you have enough, enough is as good as a feast. Like my auntie used to say it when I started talking about being rich and all my big dreams and everything. My auntie used to say, Calvin, no matter how rich you get, you can still only eat one steak at a time, son. Doesn't matter how many steaks you have in the freezer, you can only eat one at a time. You're not gonna eat three. No matter how rich you are, you're gonna be full at some point. Be grateful for the one steak that you have. <laughs> That's what she was saying to me. Yeah, no matter how rich you get, you're still not going to be any more satisfied than anybody else in the grand scheme. That's hard to believe. But it's so true. I know wealthy people and no poor people. And when they talk about their, their problems, they all sound the same. You're suffering and you're suffering drinking cappuccino. He's suffering, he's drinking a, a, a cold a coffee from last night. It's the same. Your suffering is the same. No matter how much or how little you have. Because if you have food and covering, you have enough.
To think like this is to learn how to be content. Doesn't mean you shouldn't have a nice car. Doesn't mean you shouldn't have a nice house. It just means that you should not find your contentment in the things that you have. The Bible says that a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That's what Jesus says. So then what do we see here? We see that greed is the source of the majority of discontentment. Greed is the source of the majority of discontentment. The wanting or the needing more, even when what we already possess is more than enough. Greed. I have a good job, but I need a better job. I live in a decent neighborhood, but I need to live in a better neighborhood. I have a small nest egg, but I need a much bigger nest egg. More, more, more. Never satisfied. Solomon says that the eye is not satisfied with seeing and the stomach is not satisfied with eating. An appetite that is as deep as the abyss that can never be truly filled. Paul teaches us here that it is good and it will contribute to our sense of satisfaction if we pare down our wish list to only include those things that are essential for life and for survival. Pare down the wish list. Learn how to be satisfied. Because if we are always wanting more, we will never be satisfied with what we do have. And if we are not satisfied with what we have, we will not be grateful for what we have. And if we are not grateful for what God has already generously provided, we dishonor him and we spend our lives not chasing after his call, but chasing material things that in the end will offer us no lasting peace. Paul says it doesn't take much. I know how to get along with a little. And then he turns around and says, I also know how to live in prosperity. <laughs> Nothing wrong with prosperity. He's not praising poverty. I know how to get along with a little, but I also know how to live in prosperity. And this is the interesting one. How do you live in prosperity? We've talked about all the suffering that he did and how he lived through that. How do you live in prosperity? You live in prosperity the same way you lived in poverty. That's the secret. <laughs> you live in prosperity the same way you live in poverty. With frugality and simplicity. Not lusting after more just because you have more. <laughs> in other words, my lifestyle should not be predicated on how much or how little I may have. My biblical philosophy of life should be established and immovable regardless of how much or how little I may possess. Material things should not dictate my appetite. That's the point. Material things should not dictate my appetite. And that's what we're really talking about here is appetite. My appetite should always be under my own control. 
And all I should ever require is enough. Not too much, not too little, but just enough. I should honor and praise neither poverty nor riches. I should honor and praise neither sickness nor health. I find no satisfaction in things in this material world. My satisfaction comes from another place, a greater place, a higher place. And if I learn how to be satisfied by just enough, I will always feel that I have more than enough and I will be content. That's the secret. That's the secret. In any and every circumstance, Paul says, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. I have learned the secret of both having abundance and suffering need. I have learned the secret. Sounds interesting. What is Paul's secret? You ready for it? You ready to write this down? What is Paul's secret? to being filled and being hungry. What is Paul's secret to having an abundance and suffering need? Here's the secret, that Christ is enough for me. Mm. That Christ is enough for me. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Christ is enough for me, Paul says. As long as I have Jesus, I can be rich or I can live in poverty. I can be abased or I can abound. If I have Jesus Christ and if I am conscious of Christ's love and his presence within me, I will always feel like I have more than I need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You hear that Bible verse a lot. People use that as one of those self-empowerment verses. I can accomplish anything. I can do great feasts. No, when Paul is talking about it here, Paul is saying, I can live in poverty through Christ who strengthens me. I can be broke as a joke and still be happy through Christ who strengthens me. I can be up or I can be down, I can be in or I can be out, and I can learn how to live and not only survive, but also thrive in that difficult situation through Christ who strengthens me. Christ is enough, he says. I will be content to know that Jesus Christ has promised that he will never leave me and he will never forsake me. I will be content to know that it is in Jesus Christ that I live and I move and I have my being and I do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And the presence of Jesus Christ in my heart and in my life gives me deep satisfaction, a deep sense of safety and security to know that Jesus loves me and that I am the apple of his eye. To know that if no one else cares about me, not my family, not my friends, not my church, if no one else cares for me, Jesus cares. And if no one else goes with me, Jesus is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. He prepares a table before me in the presence of all of my enemies. Christ is enough 
for me. When I am worried, or when I live in a constant state of displeasure and disillusionment, I impair my own vision and I cannot see the bounty of possibilities that Jesus Christ has provided all around me. My own discontentment becomes my prison. My discontentment acts as blinders that do not allow me to see what is just to my left and just to my right. I cannot see the handiwork of God all around me, all of the doors that God has opened to me. My discontentment blinds me. My self-pity sits me down in my own ashes, in the valley of despair. And all around me, the kingdom has opened doors, but I can't see the doors of God because of my own sense of displeasure and dissatisfaction. Nothing is good enough. In other words, discontentment, brothers and sisters, discontentment is a self fulfilling prophecy. Listen to me, discontentment, dissatisfaction with life is a self-fulfilling prophecy. It distorts your perception of reality and transforms your fullness into emptiness. It refuses the abundance that God has provided. Your own discontentment and by your own discontentment, you will always lack because you continuously prophesy in your own mind that nothing is good enough and I never have enough. So a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If you keep saying it and you keep believing it, that is what you will have and that is what you will be. A person who is always lacking because you entertain discontent but by practice we learn to see beyond our circumstances by practice we learn to see beyond our circumstances I learned to desire the intangible things of the kingdom of God more than the things of this world. And when I do so, when I allow myself to be so caught up in the vision of the true freedom that is in Jesus Christ, all of those things that I wanted and needed are added to me. Isn't that what Jesus says? If you take your focus off of your material needs, if you take your focus off of your lack and turn to me and seek first the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness, Jesus says, all of those things that you were lacking will be added. That's just gravy. That's not even the most important thing. <laughs> when you get the kingdom, <laughs> all those other things follow you. And I can live this way through the strength that is in Jesus Christ. I can become a closed system looking to this world for very little, looking only to Jesus Christ himself to provide all of my needs. And just like he promised, so it occurred for Paul the apostle. He says in verse 14, nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my difficulty. In my difficulty, wait a minute. Paul says, I was already content before you gave me the gift. I was already finding my peace in Christ alone. I was already seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I was already content, even though I had difficulty. 
This is an important lesson. That to be content does not necessarily mean that all of my natural and material needs are, are being met. That's not what it means to be content. Being content does not mean that I live on some plane where the ups and downs and vicissitudes of life do not affect me. Paul admits here that even though he is content, he still has some difficulties. But because of his contentment, those difficulties have not been able to suppress his passion and his desire to serve the Lord. He has not allowed his difficulties to distract him from what is most important, his life and his service to Jesus Christ. Then in verse 14, 15, he says this, you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. And here is another secret of living a life of contentment. To remember, to remember what God has done for you in the past. To remember how God has seen you through and to rest in the full assurance that if God did it before, God can do it again. Paul says, I remember when no one was giving me anything. I remember when I was out here by myself all alone and no one shared with me. When I first started out, nobody shared with me. Nobody shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving. But I still made it. I still got along with just a little. And I got along because God shared with me when no one else did. God shared with me just like he shares with the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. Jesus Christ was supplying all of Paul's needs when no one else did. And Paul remembers that. He remembers. And anyone who believes they're being called into ministry should understand this. It is important to know that God will supply your needs regardless of what may come and what may go. Otherwise, if you don't believe this, you will become discontent and afraid. And you'll turn away from ministry. <laughs> discontent, dissatisfied. You cannot do effective ministry worrying about who may or who may not support you. And going through a season of lack, seeing God provide for you, even when there is a drought, this helps you to master the art of contentment. This helps you to learn how to remain at ease in the midst of the crises of any lack. Nobody was giving to me, Paul says. Verse 16, for even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek the profit which increases to your account. And then he says this, but I have received everything in full and I have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice that is pleasing to God. And then finally in his closing, Paul introduces the Philippians to the finer thing, contentment. 
And he commends them to rest there in the full assurance that my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And armed with this knowledge, the Philippians and we today can be content. Let me ask you again then, and be honest with yourself. On a scale of one to 10, how content are you? On a scale of one to 10, how satisfied with life are you? Be grateful for what God has already done. Remember the great things that God has done for you. Learn how to live with just enough. Be frugal and live a life of simplicity and you'll be satisfied with all that God is providing because God has already provided all of your needs according to his riches and glory. And if you believe it, if you accept it, and if you do not allow your appetite to grow too large, you will find contentment in this world. So in teaching us that finer thing is Paul trying to give us some therapeutic advice, some psychological advice, some emotional advice? No. Here's the thing. Paul understands this and so, so should we. If you are not content, if you are always hungry, if you are always greedy and grasping after more in this world, you will not have space for Jesus. And you will not be able to do his will because you will constantly be distracted by the cares of this world. So this is not therapeutic. This is not some psychological uh, 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 practice for you to feel better. Contentment helps you to get space, to be able to give more space in your heart to Jesus Christ, to his will and his purpose for your life. That's the purpose of contentment. So that you can free yourself up from the needs of this world and drink in more of the Spirit of God, be effective in his ministry and in his kingdom. Be content, brothers and sisters. Be satisfied with your life. If you have food and covering, you have enough. And enough is as good as a feast. Let's pray. Father God, you have been so faithful and so generous to us. And you have indeed and in fact supplied all of our needs according to your riches in glory. Many of us have enough, many of us have more than enough. We thank you for the overabundance, we thank you for the overflow that you have provided. But today we ask you, Father God, to not allow us to become attached to the things that we possess. To not allow us to become defined by the material possessions that we have in this world. But help us to find our true satisfaction in you, in the sacrifice that you have made for us, in the promises that you have given to us. Help us to be satisfied only when we are filled with your Holy Spirit. And as we crave and desire the things in this world less and less, may we each crave and desire the Holy Spirit more 
and more. Fill our cups, let our cups overflow with your love, and then we will be content. In Jesus' name.